Hey, Sandy. <laughs> hey, Nora. <laughs> I did that because um, someone really hilariously mixed us up on uh, on Twitter this week. And that person um, mixed us up and also wanted to deliver a fuck you to Nora. And so was like, Sandy, fuck you. And I was like, what? Anyway, then we learned that some people can't tell our voices apart. That doesn't make any sense. I, I, I listen to our voices a lot and they don't sound similar. No, that's just, that doesn't make any sense to me. Whatever. Get it together, people. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should make the apology. Like, I'm sorry for calling Noam Chomsky 100 years old. How old is he? I don't know. He's like 90, 11. <laughs> yeah, you should be more accurate. You should be more accurate. The, the, this, this individual um, was not super impressed with the appearance that uh, Sandy had on Canada Land last week. I was not on Canada Land last week. <laughs> Nora was on Canada Land last week, and it was a fantastic episode, actually. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Glad to hear you on that. Yeah, I really like uh, I really like having um, the break from this conversation that you and I have um, and throw Jesse Brown into it because it's really different. <laughs> <laughs> it is different <laughs> yeah it's good okay um we have some people to thank and i will do that but do you want to like introduce this cornucopia of of topics today or how, how should we start this sure oh my god this week was the most i don't know like I, actually i don't want to qualify this week as anything because 2020 has a lot in store for us and i'm not going to try to say that it's the most this that or whatever but we have a few <laughs> things to talk about this week we do want to mention some stuff that's going on in quebec that english canada hasn't seemed to have picked up on yet um a bit of a me too movement happening there so Nora's going to tell us a little bit about that we're also going to talk a little bit about this stupid fucking letter that was published in harper's magazine uh, from a bunch of liberal people saying uh, that, I don't know, the Black Lives Matter protests uh, run the danger of uh, censoring everyone. Yeah. I, don't, I don't fucking know what the point of that shit was. Whatever. We'll get into that. And then we're going to talk about we. <laughs> We've talked about we for a couple of weeks, so we're not going to just talk about we, but we're going to talk about like... Uh, how the liberals operate with these kinds of organizations that they have uh, connections with and hopefully give you some tidbits that will be helpful to your political literacy moving forward. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm going to thank some people before we get started. <laughs> so this week, it's again, another really amazing week of people's support. And so uh, thank you so, so much to Emma Kiani. Yan, Julien, Jenna, Katerina, Alex, Riley, Marina, Jenna, Axinia, Madeline, Ryan, Karen, Angelica, Philip, Sam, Michelle, Pamela, Matt, Naomi, Zarea, Robin, Adrian, Anna, Ryan, Rachel, Barbara, Ben, John, Mike, and Ben. Thank you so, 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 so much. Thank you. Okay, so what should we start with? Quebec? Me too? Yes, let's start with Quebec. So, you know, Quebec has this, like, um, wall between it and the rest of Canada that is 
you know, language plays a giant role in why this wall exists between Quebec and Canada. But it's not just language, it's also culture, because Quebec has this incredible star system where they have celebrities and musicians and artists that the rest of Canada has no idea about because they're famous in Quebec and they're not necessarily famous in the rest of Canada. And so because of that, the news has been very quiet outside of Quebec of the fact that there is this incredible new wave of Me Too denouncements happening. And it started on Instagram focusing on abusive tattoo artists in Montreal. And the wave that it has generated is is incredible. I mean, this morning I was reading through someone's list of all of the people who've been denounced. And sometimes the denunciations are like two times, five times, 10 people coming forward. And it took me, honest to God, 10 minutes to read the whole list. Wow. That's how many names are on this thing. And there's a lot of people who are, are well-known artists like Bernard Admus and Alex Nevsky. And uh, there's uh, personalities like Marie-Pierre Morin, who was denounced by Safi Nolan and by a couple of other, or one other at least, um, artist. And so it's just this, like, it's hard to know where this is going to go if it's just going to be another set of people kind of yelling into the void and saying that oh, this person was abusive or here's my story or whatever. But um, a lot of people have been dropped by their record labels. There's been people who've already had some consequences faced by, you know, situations where there's like up to 10 stories, similar stories of, of someone's abusive behavior. And it's just so puzzling to me that this has not been talked about outside of Quebec. I really, I, I don't really understand why journalists have not picked this up. And I, I mean, Quebec journalists can be writing about this in English and, and some have been, but by and large, the scale of how massive this moment really is in Quebec, it's incredible. And you know, a friend of mine was saying that it's surprising a little bit that 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 sexism seems so rampant. There's a lot of left wing names as well, left wing bloggers and and activists that have been that have been denounced. And my friend was saying it's really surprising that in a, in a province that's like so feminist and where women have more rights than 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 in the rest of Canada, that you'd see these kinds of behaviors still perpetuating themselves in in, in spaces and especially progressive spaces. And uh, it's actually an interesting kind of flip side to when you do have more rights and more empowerment around around women and around women's issues that a lot of times it's feminist men that are still being shitty and abusive and hiding behind the politics that they put forward. So that's my little summary of what's going on in Quebec. And if you are interested in finding out more, I would suggest that you check out Montreal Gazette or CBC Montreal, uh, CTV Montreal and Global. You might get some stories on 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 the latest in the in the Me Too allegations. I mean, it's pretty fucked up. I mean, these media organizations have uh, n like national scope. So it's not like the CBC couldn't report that also. Um, as a national story, if it's something so huge. So I don't know, like this, I'm pretty disappointed that uh, that isn't being reported elsewhere outside of Quebec. Yeah. And some of the names are famous outside of Quebec. Like uh, one of the guys in Simple Plan was just denounced as being abusive. And so I think that it's a real good sign that that media is not actually able to talk about sexual assault in a very sophisticated way. And so the excuse that it's, oh, it's Quebec, this isn't necessarily relevant for readers in Toronto or British Columbia or 
vagina or whatever. It, it, like, I don't think that, that I don't buy that because these are also waves. No. Like it's happening on Instagram and anyone can see it because that's where most of the denunciations are happening. And if we don't talk about sexual assault, we don't talk about how people are finding their voice and, and, and being able to speak the things that happen to them then people don't know that it's happening. And I mean, of course, um, you know, as we, uh, I think that people are becoming more politically sophisticated in this moment. I just think that it's really important to connect that back to um, the issues of uh, safety and security that we've been talking about for so long in terms of, uh, you know, defunding the police and so on. Um, these these stories are definitely connected to that issue as well. And I think we, we deserve um, a public eye uh, to uh, the rampant sexual assaults um, and gender-based violence that people face daily um, that are not being taken care of by literally any publicly funded system appropriately right now. <laughs> so, you know, um, uh, it is something that we really should be talking about. Part of this as well is the ability of someone to have that free speech to denounce someone and to not feel like there's going to be repercussions for talking about an experience that, that, that they that they had. But there's a letter of people that aren't really on the same page uh, on what free speech <laughs> really actually actually means um sandy what do you what do you think of the harper's letter oh and free oh my god speech? oh my god <laughs> oh my god oh my god look okay so Nora was on canada land this week or last week by the time you folks listen to this and it's a good episode you should take a listen um when you said I am, I am, my first thought is that I'm very annoyed that you made me read this letter. <laughs> I was like, me too, me too, because uh, I read the letter because uh, people kept texting me about it. And then finally, um, uh, someone, my cousin was like, yo, read this so we can fucking talk about it. And I was like, oh, I know it's going to be bad. Like I already can, I can smell, I can taste, I can gut check that this is going to be fucking terrible. And it did not disappoint. No. It did not disappoint. Um, several Canadians on that list, a couple Canadians on that list. Um, and it's a list of like elite writers and academics and I don't know, famous people. Uh, who uh, are on as as the letter I think itself talks about? I can't remember. It says something like all sides of the political spectrum, whatever. It says like, look, the point of the letter is basically to say, hey, so Trump and his ilk, very bad. True. Protesters out in the street trying to do good things, great. But let's be careful. <laughs> let's be careful to, to make sure that the protesters out in the street and those who are calling for justice don't become what Trump is. Uh, just canceling everybody out here, canceling editors, canceling writers, canceling people who just want to have their opinions known, canceling books. Ugh, terrible. Don't do it. Um, this is illiberal is how the letter describes it. And I actually think the lasting negative effect of the letter is going to be that concept, a concept of illiberalism being discussed more and becoming more concrete. I've seen a lot of people start using that term post this letter coming out, which is so fucking stupid. That's the point of the letter, I suppose. I don't know. And it is absolutely ridiculous for all sorts of reasons. One the false equivalence between a government 
um, making choices about what people can say and what they can't. Um, the Trump administration, or let's let's talk about, say, Ford, um, Doug Ford in Ontario make decision that uh, if uh, certain campuses um, are against free speech, quote unquote, like if student unions have uh, particular types of events or refuse to have certain types of events, then he won't fund uh, the school to the same level as he would have. Like that is a government clamping down on the type of speech that organizations and people uh, can engage in and making that equivalent to Black Lives Matter protesters out on the street saying, hey, stop killing us. <laughs> it's, it's just so laughable. Like the people who are protesting don't have power and that's why they're protesting. And to say that those things are equivalent is ridiculous. And so, okay, I like made that point on Twitter, kind of. Like, I just think it's the most obvious point. So I didn't make it um, very intensely. But someone was like, you know, you're being willfree, willfully ignorant. Like, this is actually about um, the power of those protesters to then come together and um, cancel someone like, I don't know, J.K. Rowling and stop her from you know, uh, being, saying what she wants to say. It's like, can anybody cancel a billionaire? You know, like if I have the magical power to cancel a billionaire and I just didn't know yet, please let me know because I have things to do. You know, like nobody's canceling anybody out here. Like to say that people should be able to say the most reprehensible things um, about human beings in our society and face zero response to it is like, what the fuck? What am I supposed to do? Just like sit here being like, yeah, JK Rowling, transphobe, but can't say anything in the name of free speech. Fuck you. If I, do I have free speech? Do I not have the free speech to respond to her? I should. But then I think the more important takeaway, which I, wrote on Twitter because, again, that thing that I just said, I feel like it's so obvious. It's like a free speech um, being curtailed by a government, like actual power, is a real thing. Me saying to Nora, I don't like what you said, and Nora being like, I hate you. Stop silencing me. is like ridiculous. You just spoke back to say I was silencing you, so I'm not silencing you. That's what the fuck. <laughs> um, I think the more important thing uh, to recognize is that... Um, you know, like cancel culture, like this idea that this is something new is such bullshit. It's not new. It has always existed that people have experienced consequences for holding certain ideas or being a certain type of person. I know this because I have been negotiating the risks of saying certain things all of my life for fear of losing out on opportunities because I've always known that the things, the ideas that I have could be a risk um, in a certain spaces. The identity that I hold could be a risk in certain spaces. And I mean, God, we have so many fucking examples of that. Like, let's think about uh, Anita Hill and like how difficult it was for her uh, to say the truth of what happened to her at the hands of Clarence Thomas and what that, um, the risk that that resulted in for her career and how people tried to make her into this figure that was reprehensible at the time that she came out and said, this man sexually assaulted me. 
Um, here's the rub. Like this type of thing has always existed for certain types of people saying certain types of things. Um, power has always had the ability to cancel us. Uh, a woman is asserting that she should not be sexually assaulted in the workplace. Well, fuck it. That's too that's too much. Let's just fire her. Or a person exists as trans. We don't understand that. Let's just fire them. Do you know what I mean? Like there's always been the ability to cancel people. It's just now become more democratized. And the elites, they don't like that because now power is shifting such that they don't have as much anymore and they could feel the consequences of saying some reprehensible fucking shit. And we are changing society such that what we deem reprehensible is shifting in, in a good way and sometimes in a bad way, but in a good way, mostly. And, and that means that some people who have been pretty comfortable with being able to espouse like really disgusting fucking ideas forever now they're going to be held to account. Tough shit. The rest of us have already always dealt with that. Fuck you. Yeah, I think that the the most important uh, part about the issue for me and, you know, as you said, like being forced to read this letter is like, why? I didn't need to read this letter because I know what it's going to say. It's going to say nothing. It's going to be incoherent and it's going to put forward a straw man argument and then debate that straw man. And you'll be like, what the fuck was the point of that? And then all these fucking apparently enlightened people have signed on to this ridiculous, senseless, like literally meaningless statement that tries to just defend liberal democracy. Um, but but the moment that we're in, as you said, is I think the most important thing to take from this free speech debate, that this isn't at all about free speech. This is about the end of the American empire and the end of liberal democracy as, it's, as it has operated in the post-war period. We are finally reaching that end period where things are falling apart. And it's not, of course... Uh, the least aided by the, the the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic is ravaging the United States, while at the same time, people have had t like this opportunity to reflect and organize new movements and, and black people are still getting killed by police. And so then you've got this uh, coordinated, incredible, historic level resistance in the street that has also not exacerbated the pandemic. So it's not even something that the elites can hope will just die out because of the pandemic. And so that is an incredible amount of power that average people have taken into their hands. And this letter is simply a reflection of their anxiety that they're losing their supremacy within liberal democracy. And I love that you talked about this idea that illiberalism is, is, is the, going to be like the next thing that they try to make, because... It really does. It's the defining characteristic of our time. What did liberalism do? It balanced extreme opinions and found some kind of location in the center to try and pleasing everybody would be maybe the PR way to do it, but to explain it. But instead, it like papers over all of the, the, the cracks within society and allows this this liberal myth that everything is actually OK. And if you're complaining, you're just this fringe voice from one side of the political spectrum, whether it's the left or the right. Well, now we're seeing mass movements refuse to accept this centrist pablum. And it is so wonderful. And the idea that Barry Weiss is like crying because she knows she's going to be guillotined in like 40 years. <laughs> I'm I'm down with that. 
I love it. I love that these folks are sounding an alarm because it's like, yeah, JK Rowling, you want to fucking say that like we can like all women menstruate and you're you're willing to die on that hill? Cool. Yeah, like fuck <laughs> like, you. We'll bury you there. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Speaking of illiberalism. Well, exactly. It's a perfect pivot because actually everything that we had just talked about, both like the freedom to denounce someone for causing you harm, whether it's physical or emotional or sexual harm, uh, versus the connection of hiding these things to promote liberalism are all wrapped up in the next topic. And I just want to present it in this way, because, Sandy, I don't know if you saw my Twitter feed, but... (laughs) One of the bands that played We Day in like 2017 was a band called Headley. Mm, mm-hmm. Do you know Headley? Yes, I have heard. I have heard of Headley. They've had a, have they've you, had have a you scandal, heard of, haven't they? Yeah, like, front, have you heard of them lately? <laughs> yeah. Have I heard of them lately? No, fuck. What do I look like? Ex- <laughs> No, exactly because because they the the uh, the front lead of the the lead singer was like was roundly denounced as being a sexual predator. So right, yeah, no, I recall that. Yeah, so they they, they did We Day. <laughs> Sorry, they they did <laughs> when? Yeah, a couple of years ago before they were denounced, like probably the year that they were denounced. Yeah, and so all, there's just these threads Ooh. that go all the way through right into into we so why do we want to talk about we for what is technically a third time why are they that important god they're not i mean they are they aren't they are they are but i do want to make the very tiny point the very tiny point that remember remember when i was saying all of these people are out in the street protesting to defund the police and politicians are like "Eh, should we is there something going on that we should pay attention to and this We Day stuff comes up. I mean, there's no protests about it. It is very important. But politicians have acted so quickly. They've passed a motion in the House uh, demanding like an ethics review and so on. It's just very interesting how quickly politicians can move on this issue. And rightly, they should. It seems like there's some weird shit going on. But uh, when our fucking service is supposed to keep us safe and secure, it's fucking killing black and indigenous people. Nobody gives a shit. Okay, so let's just go into why it's important, as you asked. What I think is important for us to discuss today that I haven't really seen talked elsewhere is how normal this is, what's happening with we. I think that what we're really seeing is it's like, God, the liberals have such connections with this organization that it seems like this organization really functions as an extension of the Liberal Party. It provides um, uh, a mechanism for the Liberal Party's uh, strategy of celebrity to be a part of their um, of their political strategy uh, to get votes or to become popular. Um, it seems to provide directly people who are connected uh, to the uh, Liberal Party's political ad- uh, apparatus, funds, money, access to audiences. And it provides uh, the Liberal Party with some sort of like um, sh- shelter, like some sort of like a place where they can literally grab youth um, who... Uh, come in without perhaps without any sort of partisan uh, uh, goals and they can link them directly 
to the Liberal Party um, and create long-lasting relationships that will benefit the party at the ballot box years later. And I think what's very important for people to understand is that is neither new nor weird. The Liberal Party does that. It's like one of their strategies in all sorts of different sectors. And so what you're hearing about we is really fucked up. And you might know people who have been involved in we. I know um, there's people who I'm connected to who um, have told me some stories about their years uh, um, involved in the we organization or free the children. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of this stuff going on. This is not the only place. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the liberals employ this type of strategy. Uh, not, like not even at all. Like this is this is the thing is, is that it is so ubiquitous that, you know, we're already seeing that we has its tentacles all over different kind of programs that the liberals also have their tentacles all like tentacly together. So I was doing some research last night. I mean, research. I was Googling and like, you know, whatever. And um, <laughs> I, I found that like we became an official partner of Canada 150 and they had this yeah. like really cringy campaign called We Are Canada. And like, I don't remember any of that. Maybe they targeted only high school students. Maybe it was um, only to promote their We Day. I, like, I didn't see the amount of money that was given to that. That was something that I found by searching to see if like Melanie Jolie, who is the Minister of Heritage, had any kind of connections to the We charity. And and so, you know, on top of the millions of dollars that they received in government contracts, uh, sorry, in government grants, and then the uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars that they've received in government contracts, they... As you say, they use the goodwill that are built around these this charitable model to help refugees or poor people in Africa to bring in people who are progressive minded and try and build them into young liberal activists, whether they go into the liberal party itself or they go into the not not for profit or like NGO or charity apparatus, or they're just friendly to the liberal party and become liberal voters. It is so amazing to see the apparatus that they have set up. And I mean, I look at this as a left as a left wing person who's extremely critical of how the uh, NDP and left-wing kind of parties in general look at celebrity or look at charisma, look at try to like get a, a, an interesting, charismatic person to be the head of their party. I mean, and they've, they've tried to do that with, with Jagmeet Singh. Um, but that, that was a bit weird. I think there's a lot of progressives who are kind of like turned off by that kind of politic. But they, the liberals, have created an actual star system where they churn people through the various apparatuses that they have to to create them into stars. And I think that this moment allows us to see that with total clarity. I mean, Bill Morneau's daughter is my favorite story in all of this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you should talk about that. I saw I, I was watching your Twitter feed because I was like, ooh, Nora, Nora's like really interested in this. <laughs> so it's <I was> like... <laughs> Watching your Twitter feed uh, yesterday, which is, um, we're recording this on Saturday, so I was watching your Twitter feed on Friday, um, just looking through all of the information that you found on this girl who, you know, I think it's like important to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what's happened here because it's just so obviously curated um, and it's curated through we 
but as this person who is the daughter of a uh, of a political representative. Yeah. And so when I said the daughter of Bill Moore, Bill Morneau, I should have been more clear because Morneau has like a couple of kids. And one of his daughters, who was adopted from Uganda when she was a teen, actually works for WE currently. Hmm. Which, I mean, I like Bill Morneau is the literal guy signing the 900 million dollar check to the wee charity at, at my my kid works there like seems like a bit of a conflict and when he was challenged um on this by uh by journalists i believe it was the the cbc that asked him about this he was like oh she works in like travel coordination administration she has nothing to do with um the decision making there but it's like there is no travel going on right now. So, like, no offense, but that's not a fucking defense. And, of course, there's no, like, the follow-up response, if there was a follow-up question, was not answered. But his other daughter is uh, named Claire. She is a Havergal girl. And I was only tipped onto this because of Oh, someone... I think you need to explain what a Havergal girl is <laughs> at well, some point. You, I think you have to explain that because I'm not from Toronto and you have a very good handle on this. But I'll just say before that, I was tipped onto this by uh, a girl that went to school with her at Havergal and who was infuriated by seeing how much she was leveraging the power given to her by her father and her father's position to claim like all this personal success. But what does that mean to be a have a girl gal. <laughs> well, you know, um, it's interesting. I was explaining this to some Americans today. Like we have a very good public school system. So everybody goes to public school unless you're like the most elite piece of shit douchebag. <laughs> and have <a> girl <laughs> is, I mean, uh, many people may have heard of Upper Canada College where some of our prime ministers have gone to Upper Canada College. It's like the, the men's uh, private school in Toronto that's like really elite um, and uh, like an exclusive club of uh, people who end up going to Trinity College at U of T generally and then becoming dicks who uh, run for the Liberal Party. Um, Havergal's like across the street. Havergal is like the girl's version of that. And so uh, she going to Havergal means that she's either elite or is one of the like very few students who gets a scholarship there. Right. And so when she was 17, she wrote a book uh, from like Vanity Publisher, a Vanity Publishing House of, of her pen pal discussions with girls in a refugee camp in Kenya. And the camp is called the Morno Chappelle School for Girls. Morno Chappelle, <laughs> Morno Chappelle, of course, being the um, the company that Bill Morno owns. I mean, that's where Morno comes from, and Morno Chappelle. They're an insurance company. Can you imagine, like, going to a refugee camp, like, and that is your life, and then you get, uh, oh, hey, this this girl. Um, wants to to be your pen pal, and you're like, cool. I'm just chilling here at the Morneau Chappelle fucking refugee spot. Uh, who's the girl? And it's like, oh, her name's Morneau. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what? I just, oh god. What? Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. Continue. I just think that that is just so fucking typical. <sighs> It's, yeah. it's it's really typical. And so there's there's kind and of two, gross and fucking and gross. gross. Like it's like it's typical, but it's also fucking gross that they don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. Like there's two there's two kind of ver uh, ways to tell the story. And I'm going to I'm going to start with the insidery liberal 
patronage way. And then I think we should shift into the gross colonial racist way to tell the story. And both <laughs> are so Liberal Party of Canada that it's just it's just awesome. So I there, there was a, a the book had a Twitter account and I spent some time reading through the tweets last night to see like how the book was promoted. And Claire Morneau did the full suite of of media. She was on uh, Here and Now on CBC Radio in Toronto. She was on she's featured by Chatelaine and by Global Mail. And she did like the, the TV spots. I think I saw breakfast television um, or like morning shows like that. If I'm if I'm wrong specifically about breakfast television and the, there's a, a few public speaking events. She was part of the Walrus Talks, which is kind of a prestigious um, speaking series that the Walrus magazine puts out every year. And um, my favorite was the talk that she did at the Rotman School. And so here you've got a 17-year-old who, like, only just published, like, people's handwriting. Like, I don't know if she paid the girls whose letters appeared in the book. I mean, that I didn't see. Oh, she better see. have. So some journalist who's listening, please look into that. Please. <laughs> please. This book only came out two years ago. or, or Yeah, two years ago. So, well, three years ago now. So it's not too hard to find. But on, on, on the day of uh, the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, March 21, she spoke at the Rotman School, which is the University of Toronto's School of Business. And the dean of the Rotman School is a guy called Tiff Macklem. And so she got a picture of herself with Tiff. Sandy, do you know who Tiff Macklem is now? I don't. I need you to tell me. Okay, I will. And it did. It wasn't a huge announcement, so it has slipped through a lot of people's radar. Tiff Macklem was just named by Claire's father to be the next governor of the Bank of Canada. And it was a surprise appointment. People were like, oh, why is the Dean of Rotman being appointed to the governor of the Bank of Canada? Because there was a woman who was like the deputy governor who was kind of like the presumed next person. And journalists covered it as in Bill Morneau, such a renegade, appoints from the outside of the Bank of Canada to shake it up. But anyway, obviously, they're buddies if he's hosting Bill's daughter at his school. And I didn't see her speak at any other schools of business or any other faculty uh, talks. Why would she be speaking at a school of business for this book? (laughs) Like, that doesn't make any sense. As someone who does speaking gigs from once uh, once in a while, I mean, you do speaking gigs once in a while. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you get asked by a place that you know, might be con- confusing. You're like, mm, I never thought they would ask me, but maybe they have, they want to hear about what I have to say. But what does a high school student who is a pen pal for uh, someone who is at a place or goes to a school that her dad funds, who's written or published those letters have to offer to the business students at at Rotman like what's the what's the connection there maybe the peace and conflict school maybe trinity college or like new college or something like with places at U of T sure but Rotman school of business <laughs> yeah really <laughs> that sounds like something that was cooked up over i don't know some drinks <laughs> that the Morneau family was having with Tiff Macklem maybe <laughs> maybe what you think Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's she she was um, a part of Heather Reisman's picks, which is a way to get your book at the front of chapters in Indigo, which, of course, is Canada's largest book chain. Um, So somehow her book, Hakuma Girls, 
became a Heather's pick and featured quite prominently. So another little bit of help. She spoke at We Day. Um, and this is the one connection that I feel like is, is helps to kind of expand this conversation past the We charity. So, you know, and there's a great picture of her and Justin Trudeau at, at the We Day and they're just loving it. And he's like the prime minister. It's like no big deal. I'm just talking at this big charity event that I have nothing to do with. And they're just paying my mom hundreds of millions, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But she was also named a youth ambassador for the UNHCR. And the school that her father has paid for his name to be on it is actually a UNHCR school. And so to fund that school, you have to give money to the UNHCR. So I have a whole bunch of questions about whether or not the Liberal Party is giving the UNHCR money for vanity projects with the name of the finance minister that might be tied to it. And we also know that like uh, that there's been a whole bunch of politicians that have gone to Kenya and done we trips. Uh, you know, of course, there was this big uh, bombshell investigation from Canada land that called into question the we charities sketchiness in Kenya. And so it all just seems very bizarre that like we is involved with this. You've got the UNHCR, you've got the Liberal Party, you've got the, these young people who've been given book contracts for no fucking reason, really beyond their last name. What is going on here? What is actually happening when someone is constructed to be or an organization is constructed to be in this way? Well, look, it it consolidates power. And let me tell you, like, when I say that this is a strategy of the Liberal Liberal Party that they've done before, like, I have examples for you. Um, You know, when when Black Lives Matter uh, became, became, like, uh, very popular and the things that we were calling for became very popular in 2016, all of a sudden... This organization was announced, the Federation of Black Canadians. Um, And it was like, what? Where's this coming from? Um, You know, we hadn't heard about, you know, I'm pretty plugged in, you know, to the black community. And we hadn't heard um, that this was coming up. And you look at who was announced to be board members and so on. And they were like, some of the people were like MPs, the, the spouses of sitting MPs. And people who had connections to the Liberal Party. And it was like, oh, I see. I see what's happening here. The Liberal Party does not want to respond positively uh, to the things that we're calling for. And so they're setting up an alternative organization, an alternative liberal organization that can say those people over there who are black are calling for some radical things that you should not listen to. But we we are the reasonable black people. And we will tell you that you're doing just fine. Or here's the small things that you can, you, can, you can do. And then they can report in the media that they have the support of the Federation of Black Canadians. Now, people like myself, Elle Jones, Desmond Cole, um, Black Lives Matter as an organization as, as a whole, Rodney DeVerlis, we really called this out and didn't allow it. Um, to become as public as I think it could have become, as popular as I think it could have become. At their first convening, there were people there who roundly said, like, this is a liberal setup and we don't want this. And there was some scandals like to, in the exposing of uh, the connections that people who were on this board that nobody you know, knew how it had been set up, even had connections with the Liberal Party. And it kind of got quiet. I mean, I know they're still operating right now. Apparently, they're like having meetings with Zionist organizations is what I've heard. Someone was like, help, Sandy, stop them. And I was like, this is what they're going to do because they're yeah. the Liberal Party. 
<laughs> they're just going to try to justify whatever the Liberal Party uh, um, is doing um, uh, by helping them with whatever uh, um, activities that they take on. Um, but this is, you know, this is one of the ways that power tries to stifle um, a change uh, that might be demanded from the ground. And I mean, Nora and I have another example um, that, you know, we worked uh, like so hard against for so long. Yeah, they when after Mike Harris had been premier of Ontario, where tuition fees had been deregulated and they started to go up very, very fast, the way that the Liberals in Ontario uh, and a lot of the people who were around Dalton McGuinty at the time um, actually then did go to the federal party. So we're talking about very, if not the exact same people, then like similar tactics within liberal operatives. Uh, Dalton McGuinty was elected and promised to freeze tuition fees, which was a really big deal at the time because tuition fees had gone up so fast under Mike Harris. And the tuition fee promise was one of the only ones that McGuinty actually kept. He, he made a lot of promises to get elected in 2003, and he did freeze tuition fees for two years. But there were two organizations that were so close to the Liberal Party. I mean, one of them was like literally young liberals and they're all still young liberals. And one just ran to be the leader of the fucking Ontario liberals. I mean, they are liberal, 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 liberals. And they fought us every step of the way. When we would say students want lower tuition fees, they would say students want uh, reasonable limits to our tuition fees. And during the process of determining what they would do with tuition fees, this is where the liberals are so intelligent, right? They created a fucking bullshit uh, review of post-secondary education. They hired an insider to do this review for them. The, the the he had already admitted that he admitted to the to the Globe and Mail that the that the decisions were pretty much predetermined. But he went through this dog and pony show across the province, and the liberal front organizations for the students were able to promote what he was saying. Now, Sandy, do you remember who that was? It was Bob Ray. It was Bob Ray. And w Bob Ray was in the news again this week because he has just been given the plum appointment to be Canada's ambassador to the United States because of all of his wonderful human rights work done in Myanmar. Yeah, that's what it is. The human rights work done in Myanmar. Right? <laughs> it's just it's so ridiculous. The web is so small and I think like we see it, Sandy and I see it because we have been in the middle of it. We know a lot of their names and you can see these names pop up here and pop up there. And I and I get that it's not, I mean, the, the reactions that I'm getting to some of the things that I'm putting out or the way that people are reacting to this wee kind of web of ridiculousness. I said, I saw someone say that this is like, like another version of the Gomery inquiry where the sponsorship scandal just named person after person after person in this web of lies from the liberal party. And it is like that. It's like that. That's literally how the liberals operate. That is the only way the liberals know how to operate is through corruption and scandal and front organizations and astroturfing and, and this celebrity culture that tries to use the individual to, to hide all of the, the things happening below the surface. And the problem, of course, is that it's largely successful. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, some people might be listening to this being like, what if this has all been happening for all these years and y'all knew it? Like, why didn't why don't we know? Like, why hasn't this been reported? Well, one, because the Liberal Party also owns a bunch of media. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) A story for another day. But honestly, like um, I remember, Nora, uh, you were part of this conversation being in in uh, an office one day being like, we have got to expose this. We just need to call the fucking newspapers and tell them that the liberal party has like a fucking front organization. (laughs) It's only meant to stop um, us from making the arguments uh, in the media or for uh, that is only meant to make the counter argument for what we are making so that they can justify doing absolutely nothing. And the arguments that we were having as as like a group of activists were like, yeah, we could try to call the media. We could try to do that. And some people already have and um, they're not going to publish this story <laughs> because yeah. it sounds so bizarre um, or they have their tentacles in the media. And I think that what's really interesting about this moment, I mean, you can even see that with we, right? Like you go up to free the children and we Canada lands like, Hey, there's something weird here. Jaron Kerr's like, hey, I found out all this stuff. And the rest of Canadian media is like, whatevs, and turns around, partially because, again, the liberals have a lot of tentacles in the media as well, but also because journalists, like, for whatever reason, really fucking trust the Liberal Party and will report what they say as though it's truth, even when it's not. Um, And so it takes so much and years of doing investigation and like pulling and poking and prodding to get the mainstream media to, to report on we. That's why you haven't heard about this stuff before. But those of us who've been doing organizing work for years in this country know, like the liberals, like this is kind of what they do. And you should know too. 